Joel Embiid makes his return as the newly minted MVP of the NBA. Anthony Davis is the Lakers, and will the sun set earlier than usual as Denver is up 2-0? The pesky Panthers continue to wreak havoc while the Kraken show why they belong in this NHL postseason. Is this the beginning of the end for Mets pitcher Max Scherzer and Yankee GM Brian Cashman's State of the Union in May? The run for the Roses kicks off the horse racing season on Saturday, but why I have a serious problem with what's happening behind the scenes as they need to start weeding out the sport pronto. Fired up and ready to go as I share with you everything that's going on in the world of sports. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast. On wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. May the 4th be with you. Yes, that may be today's date, but you won't hear about lightsabers, stormtroopers, Jedi mind tricks, and the like. This is all about what's going on in the wonderful world of sports from my perspective, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me, going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even... As early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And just a little housekeeping before we begin. In this area that I'm sitting in, there seems to be either a woodpecker or some sort of construction that's going on. So you may hear some rattling in the background. I don't think it's anything that's super obvious. I hope you don't listen for it. You may not even hear it altogether because hopefully my voice comes through loud and clear. And none of the outside noise is going to be a distraction. But I have to put that out there to start. My apologies right from the jump. So if you do hear that in various pauses throughout the course of this podcast, you'll understand why I have to start off that way. But let's get right to it. I'm going to tip off with the NBA as we get a little bit deeper into this first round. All the series have played two games except for one, and that will be tonight in Golden State where the Lakers and Warriors, after that crazy game one and how that ended, and I'll get to that in a minute, The first thing I want to start off with is last night with the Sixers and Celtics. Joel Embiid is now your MVP. And I posted this yesterday on my YouTube channel. How was this maybe a good or bad thing for Joel Embiid returning back into the lineup? As we know, he had that sprained ligament in his knee that forced him out of the end of the series against Brooklyn. He had literally 10 days off before he came back into the lineup last night and Maybe for some, they thought it was premature for him to return, knowing that they already got the first game, as you've seen in the other Eastern Conference series where Jimmy Butler, who rolled an ankle there on Sunday and did not play in Game 2 on Tuesday, but they had the luxury of five days off, really four days off, from Tuesday through Saturday, but five altogether, considering the day after their Sunday contest, he had Monday, and with the Heat and Knicks going to resume on Saturday... He had pretty much almost a week for him to try to recover to see if he could get back in the lineup. But that's for Miami, New York. As for Joel Embiid, if he was cleared to play, he's cleared to play. Now, I'm sure he had a minutes restriction, and it certainly bode well for the Sixers and for Embiid last night because although he did play well in the minutes that he performed, but the Sixers were unable to get out of that third quarter avalanche 
by the Celtics where they had an eight-point lead at the half and then they just bulldozed the Sixers right out of the building and ended up with a 121-87 win. So even though it was a good thing for Embiid to get some minutes and not have to play in crunch time in this game, who knows if that would have been the case. Let's say if it was a nail-biter a la Game 1, which I'll get to in a second. But they didn't have to worry about that. I'm sure once they got on the team bus and the plane, and I'm sure he's sleeping as I'm recording this, trying to get himself revved up and ready to go for a Game 3 in their building tomorrow night. And that's the one thing. Knowing that this series is going to be every other day, for the most part, throughout the rest of this second round, you wonder how Embiid's knee and his body is going to respond after limited minutes last night, and of course, in garbage time, not having to perform there in the fourth quarter. So... That was a good thing if you're a Sixer fan. But if he's ready to play and got the green light, then so be it. And good for the Sixers in that regard. As far as the Celtics, now that was a pathetic performance day in Game 1, especially down the stretch, to have James Harden turn back the clock. And I did mention that on the podcast Monday, that if Embiid is going to be out, and if Harden was going to revert to the 2017-2018 Houston Rockets, James Harden, as we knew at that time, then who knows how Game 1 would have turned out as we saw between he and Tyrese Maxey and combined that with the sloppiness. And it brought me back to last year watching those games against the Heat, even the game against the Hawks, Game 5, and how that unfolded. But even just PTSD from the NBA Finals last year, how Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum had to bring the ball up the court and how they were just being harassed, even getting stripped, turning over the ball... And it just brought me back to that because there was no way that the Celtics should have lost that game. Think about this. They were up 111-107. And then Tyrese Maxey had that and one in the foul. But when you watch the replay, think about it. Tyrese Maxey was at the three-point line and he took one dribble. And then from there to it looked like New York City, he traveled. He took three big steps. Yes, he got the foul. I know Marcus Smart was right above the restrictive circle. So therefore, they reviewed it. And because it was under two minutes, the play stood where Maxi got the free throw to make it 111-110. And then for whatever the reason, even after James Harden made that clutch three to take a two-point lead, but what was the Celtics doing there during that final stretch to where Malcolm Brogdon Looked like Freddie Brown from the Georgetown-North Carolina game when he just threw the ball away. And then Tyrese Maxey went the other way for a dunk, which pretty much sealed the game. And then the sad part was, I was hoping that they would have called a 24-second clock violation, considering that even though the ball was turned over, but because the shot wasn't off, that they would have had a chance for the Celtics to at least defend that play and maybe get an opportunity to win the game or at least tie it at that point. But that was for naught. And between Harden's heroics and the Celtic sloppiness down the stretch it led to a game one defeat where I talked about it at the time go back to the YouTube channel at J Reels where I even discussed how the stench from the night before in that building with the Bruins losing that just awful game seven to the Panthers and blowing their season to smithereens and then 24 hours later how that stench in the locker room permeated to the Celtics and how they played down the stretch and it just made for a bad 24 hours in Boston sports, and with me being the Celtic fan, having to sit on that for two days with Embiid coming back certainly was just one that didn't make yours truly a happy camper. So with the bounce back there last night, at least all is well and all is right in the world as the series is now 1-1 and it will shift to Philadelphia, and Joel Embiid did win the MVP, and rightfully so. I understand he was super emotional when he was with his teammates when he got the word, And yes, we understand that this was a long three years for him, considering that it was between he and Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets. And a lot of people thought that Embiid could have won it two years ago and probably should have won it last year. But this was the year that he finally did, and congratulations to him for what that's worth. But now the most important thing is him trying to labor through the rest of the series to see if they could win, and then to move on to play the winner of the Knicks and Heat, and then maybe even get a chance to play in an NBA final for the first time in his career. But that is a long way from right now. So Embiid, he finally got his MVP. He can rejoice. He can lift the trophy there come Friday night down at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia, and we can see where the chips fall where they may from that point on. So that's what you have in that series. With the other Eastern Conference series, we talked about Game 1 there on Monday, and then Game 2 without Jimmy Butler. And this was a little bit of a surprise because the Heat certainly held their own 
against the Knicks where they had Julius Randle come back into the fold, who had a very big game, 25-12-8 and for him. On top of Jalen Brunson, who rebounded from that terrible game one upon his own admission, where he didn't even register a three-point made goal, and he bounced back with a bunch of three-pointers in his own right. Also, R.J. Barrett with a big contribution in that first half. And even with all that being said, the Miami Heat had a six-point lead there midway through the fourth quarter until they were able to turn on the Jets and pulled away with a 111-105 victory. Now, the scene will shift to South Beach, and the big question mark, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, is whether or not Jimmy Butler is going to be in the lineup for this Game 3, 3.30 there on Saturday. I would think he would be, considering, like I mentioned one more time, after the Sunday game where he rolled his ankle, he will not play for six days. Obviously, he's going to have practiced, and I'm sure it's going to be limited with that, but we all know Jimmy Butler is going to... If he's going to put on the uniform and if he's going to be cleared to play, you know he's going to give everything that he has. But if he's going to be compromised, how effective he's going to be is the even bigger question. But first things first, he has to get in the lineup and see what he's going to do on that ankle and how they're going to need him to go anywhere in this NBA playoff and especially in the series. So we will continue to monitor that as we go along as Game 3 one more time will be Saturday. And then as far as the Western Conference, Denver, they're up 2-0 on the Suns. And you have to wonder whether or not, could this be the beginning of the end for the Phoenix Suns here? Now, Chris Paul is not the same guy as we know, 38 years of age. But we know he is the engine that cooks for this team. He is the guy that is the veteran, the leader of this team. Despite the fact that his skills and his impact on the game... Is starting to wane. Yes, I understand in the previous series he did have a game where he shot 11 for 15 and will have his moments. But we know that this is going to be a Devin Booker, Kevin Durant behind the steering wheel, or if you want to say that's going to navigate and lead this team to bigger and better heights. But with Chris Paul leaving the game with a groin injury, and who knows what that's going to be like for them as they'll play in a game three tomorrow night, knowing that the team is thin and does not have a deep bench, What is that going to mean? Not only just for the team itself, but also for the psyche of the team. Because if Chris Paul can't play, and if it's going to be a situation where Devin Booker is going to be your point, or even Kevin Durant is a point forward, and is going to have to log a lot of minutes, and we know Durant with his injury history here recently, is that going to be sustainable? Not only for Game 3, but beyond? Again, another big giant question mark that's going to surround the Suns. And I think if Chris Paul isn't going to play, who knows? This could be a quick series. That's not to say it's a guarantee. That's not to say it's going to be automatic. And of course, Chris Paul doesn't have that type of impact that he once did, even going back to two years ago when they made their finals run. But you cannot underestimate that Kevin Durant is not a guy that's going to play 42, 44, even 46 minutes a night if they're going to try to make it into a deep, long postseason run to get themselves back to an NBA final and see if they can win their first title in the Valley of the Sun in that franchise's history. So that's, again, for way down the road. But as we speak right now, I think the Suns are in some trouble here. Although I think they're going to be heard from. I think they can win the two games in Phoenix. I think that they're going to have a moment or two where Kevin Durant, who had a terrible game two, what did he shoot? 10 for 27, I believe, in the game. Had 24 points. We know Devin Booker's been a monster so far, not only just in this series, but in the postseason. And now it's up for them in their home court to see if they could get back to Denver, tie 2-2, because if they're down 3-1, they're not going to win the series. And yes, we've seen 3-1 comebacks aplenty in the NBA postseason history. But Denver, I think they're a team that has quietly been on a mission because they're under the radar. Everybody's looking at either Phoenix, even the Lakers now after their Game 1 winning Golden State there on Tuesday, and the Warriors are the defending champs, where Denver understood they have not done much throughout these years in the postseason, other than the year in the bubble when they went to a conference final before losing to the Lakers, but a lot of people look at the Nuggets as a team where, not to say they're a pushover, but they're a team that can be had, and not many people are going to worry about them when it comes to the big picture or a crux of a series as a team that's going to get over the hump. But I think Denver is going to play with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. We saw Jamal Murray in Game 1 had the game he had with 34-9. and He had a terrible Game 2, but then Nikola Jokic says, well, get on my shoulders, as he had 39-17. and And when you have those two guys that are going to play off one another, and we know Jokic is a very unselfish superstar, 
That's a recipe for success for that team and maybe for disaster for the Suns. So one more time, I think the Suns can come back in the series. Will I? Will they come back in the series is the bigger question. And you know what? I'm going to go with my gut and say that they're going to. But I would not be surprised if Denver even goes up 3-0 or even if the Suns get a Game 3. I could see Denver getting a Game 4, whether they steal it or whether they go in there and dominate. But I really truly believe that Denver is going to look at just what they have in front of them. And also think about this. Remember two years ago, they lost to the Phoenix Suns in four games. Mind you know Kevin Durant, and I believe it was a sweep, or maybe it was five, but off the top of my head, I think they got swept. And I'm sure that plays in the back of their minds, knowing that, all right, maybe they don't want to return the favor in a sense where they're going to sweep, but I'm sure they're going to put the proverbial foot on their neck, knowing that if they have an opportunity to cut the head off of that beast, they're going to do so, whether that be in game three or in game four, and going back to Denver with a 3-1 series lead. But I think Phoenix will be heard from, but I don't think they're going to win the series, although I picked them to win in seven. And then lastly, with the Lakers and Warriors, that was a game where the Lakers, Anthony Davis, I've said this time after time, and one more time, people, I know you're probably sick of me saying this, but check those receipts going back a couple of years ago. When Anthony Davis left that first round series against the Phoenix Suns, you knew the Lakers were done. Because as much as LeBron is LeBron, and we can't, overlook what he's done throughout the course of his career and we all know he's slowing down at the age of 38 he is not superhuman although we still think and believe that he's going to have a moment or two where he's going to carry this team to victory but let's call it as we see it if Anthony Davis is going to be playing the way he played there in game one where he had 30 points and 23 rebounds now that's not to say he's going to replicate that or even come close to surpassing that but if he's going to play on that level where he's going to average 25 to 28 and get anywhere between 12 to 15 boards, the Lakers have a great shot. And he is going to be the guy that's going to stir this drink, not LeBron. Because going back to that series two years ago when he left in game four because of that leg injury or I believe the foot, and we all know he's had a bunch of ailing injuries over the years, this Laker team is going nowhere. But if Anthony Davis is going to defend the way he's defended and he's going to have the offensive repertoire that he's had, whether it's down low, from the perimeter, etc., they're going to be a tough out. But I can't see after what we saw there on Tuesday night that you're going to get a performance like that tonight and then you're going to get a performance like that Saturday because it's going to be every other day on the schedule unlike what we've seen here in the first round where it's going to be spaced out just like we've seen here with Denver and Phoenix as well as New York and Miami. So there's not going to be a three or four day respite after a game two. They're going to get right back at it there Saturday night at StaplesCrypto.com. So for Anthony Davis, if he could keep this up, and we know it's not going to be sustainable because of the every other day, number one, and who knows how many minutes he's going to have to log throughout the course of this series, and dare I even say beyond that. So... To me, everybody who's jumping on that Laker bandwagon to think, oh, this is going to be a series where they could close out in six, or maybe they're going to make this a lot simpler or easier than what we had originally thought, I don't think that's going to be the case. The Warriors will be heard from. We saw them come back from an 0-2 deficit. Granted, it was on the road, but they're going to need to win this game tonight in order for them to not only make this a long series, but if they go to LA down 0-2, I can see them winning one game, And the game they're going to need is game three. Because if they're down 0-3, who knows if they're going to come out of there alive in a fourth game. But they are the defending champs. And even though the road record, you have to throw it out the window because they did win the two games in Sacramento. And I understand Sacramento is green. This is uncharted territory for them as we saw, especially in that game seven. And the Lakers, they're a totally different beast. This is a team that has won a championship, albeit in the bubble, back in 2020. But the Lakers are a whole different animal than Sacramento but because of the familiarity because you're playing the same opponent it's not like you're going on an east coast trip where you go one and five and you just say oh well it was just a bad trip for us these stakes are a lot much more higher here than they are in a regular season so you kind of got to throw the road record out and put that championship DNA medal and everything into play but this is a must win I think for the Warriors tonight and I think they're going to get it tonight because despite the fact they shot well from three And the Lakers had to do everything possible, including a 14-0 run by the Warriors in that fourth quarter, which made it tied, but never had a chance to take the lead. I think that's going to bode well, and who knows if Anthony Davis is going to come close to what he did there in Game 1 tonight in Game 2. 
So that's how I look at what tonight's going to be. And for the rest of the series, I did pick the Warriors to win this series in seven. I still feel that's going to be the case. Now, if they go down 0-2, they're going to have to win four out of five to do it. But first things first, let's see what happens and transpires tonight. I think the Warriors are going to respond. I think they'll bounce back. And then especially at the end of that game, and I get it that the Warriors, they're going to stick behind their player. But for Jordan Poole to take that three-point shot from San Jose with 10 seconds left on the clock was inexcusable. And I get it, that's the shot they were looking for. And Steve Kerr, they're going to say the right things. But for Poole to take that shot, he should have taken a couple of dribbles, see if he could have maybe at least broken down the defense to maybe get the ball back out to either Curry or Thompson to get that last second three to tie the game. And as it was, why he shot that from where he did, I understand it was 28 feet. It looked like he shot it from 50 feet. And you knew he wasn't going to make that shot. All of a sudden, he thought he was Steph Curry. And that, you knew, was not going to splash through the net. But be that as it may, let's see if the Warriors do respond tonight and make this a series, bringing it 1-1 back to L.A. And that's what you have with the NBA as we get ready for not only that game tonight, but tomorrow you're going to have the Celtics, Sixers in the first game, followed by Denver Phoenix. And then over the weekend, you'll have the 3.30 ABC game, New York at Miami, 8.30, Golden State at L.A. And then on Sunday, you'll have your double dip. I believe the Celtics are the afternoon game, 3.30, and then I believe it's 8 o'clock for Denver and Phoenix. And of course, that game, both of those games will be in Phoenix. So let me just pick that up right here as I look at the schedule. That is correct. Boston at Philly, 3.30 ESPN, followed by Denver, Phoenix, TNT. And then you'll have New York at Miami, game four, Monday, followed by Golden State at LA, 7.30 and 10. And then from there on out, It'll be every other day with the last four series remaining in the NBA. Now as I lace up my skates to take a trip around the ice to see what's happening with the Stanley Cup playoffs now that we're into round two. And just to recap quickly, the Devils made it out of a game seven where they won four nothing and showed the dominance that they had over the Rangers from games three to five. And all I could say is this, I was shocked to see that the Rangers, and I'll talk about them in a second, They just spit the bit here. This was just an epic collapse. I'm sorry, you're up 2-0. You win both of those games in New Jersey 5-1. And then the Devils, with a goaltending change for a guy that we never even heard of. And kudos to Lindy Ruff on that. Unlike what we saw there with Jim Montgomery putting in Jeremy Swayman for Linus Olmark in a Game 7 do-or-die. But for the Devils to play the way they did... And to just blitz right through the Rangers. Mind you that in Game 6, the Rangers did prevail. And a lot of that had to do with just mistakes by the Devils. Penalties, which set up the Rangers there nicely in order for them to win that Game 6. But there's no excuse to have a power play, to give up a shorthanded goal, partway, halfway through the second period. And then the Devils just took off from there and then went for nothing. And good for them as they move on to play the Carolina Hurricanes. And I'll get into that Game 1 last night that took place down in Raleigh. But for the Rangers, with everything that happened throughout the course of the season, bringing in guys like Vladimir Tarasenko from St. Louis with Stanley Cup pedigree, as well as Patrick Kane, the same deal three times over with Chicago. And for them to fall the way they did in this first round after being up to love, who knows? There's going to have to be somebody that's a fall guy there, and it may be the coach. Gerard Gallant, who wore out his welcome there in Vegas after taking his inaugural team to a Stanley Cup, And then now, after a big season last year where they were just two games away from going to a Stanley Cup final, and mind you, were up two love in that series against Tampa. And I understand that's the defending two-time Stanley Cup champions at the time. And you got to chalk it up to their pedigree and what they've done. And yes, it was a successful season, but it was just a terrible end to that year. But there is no excuse for a young devil team who's fast. And we get it that they have some dominant players there, especially in the forwards led by Jack Hughes but to lose that way to your crosstown rivals and did not show up in a game seven somebody is going to have to fall on the sword here and it may be the coach I know they're probably not going to bring back Patrick Kane he's an unrestricted free agent I don't know the status of Vladimir Tarasenko I would think he's still the same but the Rangers have the right fit the right pieces and I get it they were trying to take a shot here but it failed epically 
And now let's see how they pick up the pieces into this offseason. So now let's get to last night, Devils and Hurricanes. And with the Hurricanes having a couple of days off, this was a carbon copy of what we saw there in games one and two for the Devils. Remember, they lost 5-1 to the Rangers one more time in games one and two, although in their building. But what happens here? Carolina gets off to a 2-0 lead there in the first period. It was 3-0 in the second, and they cruise to a 5-1 victory. Similar to what you saw there. So this is a script and a movie that the Devils and their fans have seen here in the first round. And let's see if they're going to bounce back there in a game two tomorrow night. And you would think they would. This is something that they're familiar with. Granted, this is on the road, not at home. So let's see if the Devils could back up what they did in the first round here with the big time response there in a game two. If not, they're going to have to go back to New Jersey And back to the drawing board to see what went wrong in these first two games. But again, let's get past game two before we can even judge or even think. Let's see if the Devils have enough in their tank to get a split and take it back to New Jersey evened up. Edmonton and the Vegas Golden Knights. I picked Edmonton to win in six. And I also picked the Devils to win in six as well based on their win their Monday night against the Rangers. The Oilers, funny enough, First time in NHL history where you had back-to-back performances of one player scoring four goals in a loss during a Stanley Cup playoff. And I'll get to the other performance there in a minute. But for Leon Dreisaitl, who now has 11 goals in his postseason, he has played in seven games. And he got four last night, but Vegas had the lead throughout. Although Dreisaitl cut it to 5-4 there late, but the Golden Knights did get the tack on goal to make it 6-4. I think this is going to be a long series. I know I said six. It could go seven. Edmonton's going to be heard from. And Vegas, who took care of Winnipeg, and maybe the extra day's rest helped them get into a groove here for game one. As that crowd, we all know in Vegas, is always going to be a raucous crowd. That is the first team that had a team brought in. In this case, an expansion team. We know about the Raiders moving there, but there's not really a sense because they're as we all know, born and bred in Oakland. But we all know this is Vegas's team, so let's see if Edmonton could rally the troops and get that series back to Edmonton tied at one. So Dreisaitl obviously is doing his part, but the Golden Knights certainly had done theirs to get the game one under their belt to start off that series. And then you have the Pesky Panthers, who after their Game 7 heroics in overtime in Boston... Now they go north of the border to Toronto where they took a 1-0 series lead there. They had a situation where they took the lead and then Toronto came back and then you had the likes of Matthew Kachuk who had three assists and Brandon Montour. I know that's a name that the Bruin fans do not want to hear at all. But he was able to get the go-ahead goal or actually he got the goal that made it 4-2 and Toronto now on their heels. Still the pressure is there. We cannot discount that even though they finally got over the hump. And I'm going to get into more of that dynamic in a second. But Florida, who's playing with house money, and for them to get that game one under their belt, you know that they're going to be flying tonight to see if they could take a 2-0 series lead to bring it back to Florida, a place where Toronto's going to have to go back considering that they started the playoffs in Tampa and then they're going to have to go about two to 300 miles south of Tampa to play there in Sunrise. But give it up for Florida and what they've done here. They've now won four in a row in this postseason. Remember, they were down 3-1 to Boston. They had to win the final three games of that series and now are up 1-0 here. So they are cooking with gas. And Toronto, now this is where they have to exhale. And I'm going to be rooting for them. This is a franchise, as we know, took a long time for them to get out of the first round, which they finally did so. But they have not made it to a conference final in forever. You have to go back to, I believe the last time in the conference final was 93 against the Kings. And they lost a bitter Game 7 at home to Wayne Gretzky and coached by Barry Melrose. But knowing that they were able to slay that first round beast. And thinking that, all right, we're playing Florida. That there should be no pressure on them. It should be a situation where they should take care of the Panthers. But now they're in an 0-1 hole and they do not want to go 0-2 because... Even though they finally knocked through that door of the first round, you want to go past that. You just don't want to be happy to get that piano off your back to the point where it's like, all right, well, now that we got that taken care of, the pressure's off us. Not the case. 
You're still a Toronto Maple Leafs. You still haven't won a Stanley Cup in 56 years and maybe counting if you don't make it out of this series alive. So I think they're going to play a better game tonight. They knew that Florida, maybe they thought they they were going to catch them after the euphoric win there on Sunday and the quick turnaround, knowing that maybe they would play a little flat, that they wouldn't come out flying, and that wasn't the case. So Toronto knows what they're up against, and now they know that they're going to have to go full throttle here to maybe somehow, some way, get a rocking chair type game, maybe a 4-1-5-2 type game to take it back to South Florida. But can Toronto, even if they do lose tonight, come back from an 0-2 deficit? They have the talent to. Do they have the psyche and more importantly, the testicular fortitude to do so? Now remember, They played from in front in that series. Mind you, they were down 0-1. I get it to Tampa in the last round. But they were able to get a 3-1 series lead and win those two games down in Tampa. So even though they lost a game five at home and had some big-time goals along the way, but they didn't face intense pressure. And if they're down 0-2 in the series, they're going to face that. Going on the road, and not to say that Florida is a hostile environment, it's not the old Chicago Stadium back in the days. It's not Hockey Town, the old Joe Louis Arena in Detroit. But that's going to be a big test if they do happen to go down 0-2. I think they're going to win tonight. I think they're going to even the series. And this is a series that I stated that the Leafs are going to win in six. So if they're going to do so, it'll be best for them to get this game tonight. And let's see how that's going to unfold into the weekend if Toronto does come out victorious and how that series will play out down in Florida. And then you have the Kraken, who have shown that they belong in this postseason. We talked about what they did to Colorado there on Monday, winning that series and dethroning the defending Stanley Cup champs. And then now, they have to play a Dallas Star team who is primed, and let's see if they're going to be ready to get back to a final. Remember, they went in the pandemic year in 2020. And as I talked about earlier, with Leon Dreisaitl scoring four goals and a loss there yesterday, the night before, you had Joe Pavelski score four goals, and the Kraken, who had a lead, and then Pavelski with a little bit of a heroics there to tie the game, but then in overtime, the Kraken, who have played well here throughout this postseason, and of course in overtime as well, they get the goal by Yanni Gord, who yours truly knows very well, As a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning, he was a guy that got the big goal in Game 7 against the Islanders in the conference final there two years ago. He's a guy that's more of a two-way winger, not much of a scorer, but can score goals from time to time. And Yanni Gord, with all that experience that he has under his belt in Tampa, winning two cups, was able to get the game winner there in Game 1 as they surprised the Dallas Stars and win 5-4. to And Seattle, they're going to be heard from. I could see this being a long series. I picked the Stars in six. I picked all these series in six. I went the safe route. But I also did say that maybe the Stars would win in five. But now the Stars are certainly going to be up for the task. They know what they're up against. And they do not want to go back to Seattle down 0-2. Not to say that's a big home ice there because the Avalanche did win two games out of the three games that were there. Now Seattle did win that big game four. I understand But it's not as if that's a big-time home ice, even though the fans are rabid up there. So Dallas is still okay. They're all right. I think even if they lose tonight, they can still get back in the series and bring it to Dallas at 2-2. But they don't want to flirt with that. They want to be able to get that game tonight and then see what happens there as the scene will shift to Seattle. But very intriguing where we have the second round of the Stanley Cup, obviously mirroring the second round of the NBA. We have a 2-0 series with Denver and Phoenix and all the other series are at 1-1 or so we think. Let's see what happens tonight there in San Francisco with the Warriors and Lakers. And then as we'll continue here with the Game 2s tonight with Seattle and also with Florida and Toronto. Seattle, of course, playing Dallas. So the playoffs march on and you know I'll be on top of it as we'll revisit this come Monday and get deeper into the second round. Now, as I lace up my cleats, put on the batting gloves, and get into the batter's box to talk about what's happening in baseball, and there's going to be a little bit of a local flair here as I get into both the Mets and Yankees, and for reasons that are 
legitimate. I'm going to start off with my beloved Mets. And they're in a tailspin at the moment. I'll get to that in a second. But the first thing I want to talk about, you have to wonder, even on May the 4th, if you're a Met fan, whether this is one more time, and I think I've said this a few times here, the beginning of the end, as I like to call it. Maybe I should have had this, the beginning of the end segment when it came to the NBA and now the baseball. But is the Met fan going to have to worry about Max Scherzer? Now, he has come back off of the suspension in L.A. where we all know he got thrown out because of the sticky stuff, not only on his hand but on his glove. Okay, fine. I don't think he's a cheater. I know people have gotten in my ear to say, oh, how do you feel about having a cheater on your team? I said, what? I said, Max Scherzer, please. I'm not going to go there. And I'm not saying that because he's on my team and I'm drinking the Scherzer Kool-Aid. But as we all know, Scherzer's a mercenary. He is not a Met. If this was Jacob DeGrom, yeah, I'd probably be a little bit more stung by it. But Scherzer, he's going to be gone after next year. And who knows, maybe after this year with the way he's performed. And I'll get to that in a minute. But as far as him being a cheater, I'm not going to say that. But now you have to wonder whether or not Scherzer is going to be, maybe it's going to be a thing, it's psychological, and who knows what's going to happen when he pitches on the mound at City Field. But he has not pitched well here to start off this year. His start there yesterday in Detroit was an abomination. Now, I get it that he had missed a couple of starts. He's trying to get back. As far as his, not necessarily his mechanics, but just his routine. And that's no excuse because he should have been out there against his former team. Mind you, that was many moons ago. But it should have been a scenario where he should have taken the ball and given you at least six innings. Considering that they lost game one of this doubleheader where the Mets have played doubleheaders left and right. All this inclement weather, whether it's in New York and now in Detroit where they had to play a double dip yesterday. And they lost 6-5 in the first game where they gave up two runs there in the bottom of the eighth. So the Mets knew that with Scherzer on the mound, that they would hopefully at least give him a good start and maybe keep them in the game so maybe they could split that and get themselves out of this malaise that they're in. But as it was, Scherzer went three and a third, six runs, eight hits, 75 pitches. His ERA is now 5.56. And this is on top of the performance that he had in Milwaukee where he, I believe, pitched three and a third, got bombed, Home runs left and right. I think he gave up eight runs in that game. Or maybe it wasn't eight. Maybe it was six or seven. Opening day, he was cruising along in Miami until he gave up three runs in the sixth inning, which derailed that start. He has not pitched well. He got thrown out of that game in L.A. where he was suspended. And then on the heels of what happened there last night, you really have to consider and wonder with all the mileage that's on his right arm, with everything that's happened here over the course of the first month and change, that maybe he is starting to lose it here. It's not out of the realm of possibility. He's going to be 39 in July, I believe off the top of my head. He's lost a little bit here, not necessarily of his fastball, but you got to wonder whether or not the dominant Max Scherzer, who the Mets brought in to be that guy, where in that six-and-a-half-year time span in Washington that he won two Cy Youngs, won a World Series, was pretty much at the top of all the charts across pitching in the National League, Is that guy ever going to come back? Yes, we're going to see flashes of that, I would think. But to me, is this guy going to be a guarantee the next time he gets a start when he toes the rubber sometime next week at City Field that he's going to go ahead and give you a performance where he's going to go six, six and two-thirds, seven innings of one run, four hit ball, ten strikeouts and one walk? Maybe when the weather warms up, and it's supposed to warm up into the weekend of next week, but we'll see. But I don't know if we're going to see that guy again. Yeah, maybe a start here, a start there, but the consistency of that, you're really going to have to start to question that from here on out. And you're paying the guy $43 million. Not I, Steve Cohen, of course, but this is the type of performance you're going to get from a guy who's brought here to be that ace, the one that's going to stop losing streaks in its path. And last night doesn't even get out of the fourth inning. And it's the Detroit Tigers. This isn't the... Kirk Gibson, 35-5 and five Tigers that we saw in 1984. Or the team that went to a World Series, what, 11 years ago against the San Francisco Giants. It's not that Tiger team. And then today, you're going to have Justin Verlander get his first start against his former team, and obviously a lot more recent. Granted that he did get traded from the Tigers in 2017, unlike Scherzer, who signed as a free agent in 2015. But we know that when Verlander goes into the Hall of Fame, he's wearing that Tiger cap. 
Not the Astro cap or even the Met cap. Huh. Far from that. But let's see what Verland is going to do today. And who knows if he's going to be on a pitch count or a limit. I'm sure he's probably going to pitch 75 pitches. That means maybe five innings. And let's see if the Mets could come out of the Motor City with a win and come back home to face a dreadful Colorado Rocky team who actually hasn't played bad as a recent vintage. I believe they're on a little bit of a winning streak. But they should take care of the Rockies at home as the Mets close out this brief road trip in Detroit. So that's item number one. And then the second thing, I got to hear from Brian Cashman. And I'm not picking on the Yankees here, and I know people are going to say, well, there goes Jay Reels. Everybody knows me. Yes, I cannot root for the Yankees with any and every fiber of my being. There's no secret. But there's only one time, and I've been thankful and gracious enough as a sports fan to say, come mid-October, that when the Yankees do not make it to a World Series, and especially win it, that every time that happens, I utter these words. Another winter that I could sleep in peace. That's the only way I'm going to poke the Yankee fan year in and year out. And even look back last year when they started, what, 51-18 and 18 and 61-23. and t- 23, We were comparing them to the 98 Yankees. I wasn't, but a lot of people were, and I thought it was preposterous. But they got off to such a tremendous start that, hey, of course there's going to be comparisons to that Yankee team. And ironically, this is the 25th anniversary this year of that decorated and, in these parts, revered Yankee team. Understandably and rightfully so. But I digress. I'm not poking the Yankee fan here in this case, but I have to say, why is Brian Cashman coming out with a State of the Union to the fan base to say, don't count us out? Brian, we understand that your team is a mass unit. That pitchers, players are dropping like flies. And we understand you're bringing up the Jake Bowers of the world. Understood. But there's no way that he has to come out in front of a microphone to announce to the fan base that, hey guys, don't count us out, stick with us. Yes, we have a rash of injuries, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be in last place for the course of the rest of the season or that we're not going to have a turnaround or we're not going to get our players back. We understand that this is the case of the team. Now, we can look at the medical staff or we can look at how the Yankees have been training to the point where we can't get Carlos Rodon back because we had the issue with his forearm, but now it's his back. And we know backs are very unpredictable and cranky and who knows when he's going to come back into the rotation. We understand that their bullpen, Jonathan Loisega, especially he, he's going to be out for a considerable amount of time. Lou Trevino, He's going to be on the shelf with Tommy John surgery. We know about Luis Severino. We know now Nesta Cortez may miss a start because of strep throat. So his start's going to be pushed, I believe, from Friday to Monday. We know now Aaron Judge is on the IL retroactive to last Friday because of his hip. Who knows, as big of a man as he is, how he's stretching, how he's working out, what's going on there. Giancarlo Stanton, his injury, that's another issue we got to deal with. And yes, it's just on and on and on with this Yankee team. But there is absolutely no need for him to have to put out a press conference in order for him to tell the Yankee faithful that, hey, don't give up on us. We will bounce back. We will make sure that once we're healthy and whole, we're going to make an imprint on this American League and this baseball season, so don't count us out. Seriously? The Yankee fan doesn't want to hear that. The Yankee fan knows what's going on there, and even I know. When I talked about it on Monday, looking at the first month of the baseball season yes we see the Yankees in last place yes they're just a game over 500 at that time was there any reason to panic was there any reason to think that oh this team is really in dire straits absolutely not we know that the team is the walking wounded so I certainly didn't look at it as like oh boy the Yankee season is going to go up in smoke absolutely not so why should Brian Cashman at this juncture of the year on May the 3rd come out with a press conference to say guys stick with us I don't understand. If that was George Steinbrenner, definitely. Because we know that even if the whole team was out, sick, or was ravaged by injuries, George Steinbrenner would still be saying, we got to pick it up. This is a disgrace. This is the New York Yankees. So on and so forth. But that was George Steinbrenner. We all know that he is long gone from the picture. And this Yankee team, or this Yankee organization, 
that makeup is a far cry from what we saw when George was at the helm. So to think that they have to bring out the pom-poms here to reinvigorate or to reassure the fan base that all is okay, seriously? As for the rest of baseball, I know you got a couple of things up the pike as far as some news. Jose Altuve is on the mend. He's starting baseball activities, but there's not a date in sight for his return. But that's good news considering that we're already into May and his injury was going to be minimum two months. Remember, he got struck on the hand by that pitch thrown by Daniel Bard in the World Baseball Classic where he had his thumb broken. And even with surgery, the timetable looked like it was going to be two months minimum. And knowing that he's starting to partake in baseball activities, which means I'm sure gripping a bat and trying to swing and get himself in tune in that regard... That's a positive, but we still don't know when the end is in sight for the Astros, who have been scuffling here in the AL West. Now, the Rangers are in first place. They have a three-game lead in the loss over the Astros, sandwiched in between the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. So, let's see how that's going to unfold as the Astros are looking to get their inspirational and their long-tenured player back into the fold. Don't look now, but the Dodgers are now charging out in the NL West. They're now winners of six in a row. First place, albeit by a game, over the Diamondbacks. And we don't expect the Diamondbacks to have any legs here in the NL West. But the Padres, I mentioned them as a disappointment in my analysis there on Monday. And granted, they are a couple of games over 500, But with all of the players that they signed, whether on the team, a la Machado, or elsewhere, a la Xander Bogarts. This is a team, not to say they had to be anywhere close to Tampa Bay at 25-6 and six right now, but they should be a lot better than 17-15. and 15. Let's call it as we see it. But we have to look out for the Dodgers here because maybe they've now shifted into high gear and let's see if they can continue to play winning baseball and maybe start to pull away from the rest of the pack there in the NL West. And yes, I started to mention this about the Mets and I'll just put this in a tidy package here in 30 seconds or less. After that West Coast trip to, to where they were 7-3, and three, and they started off that West Coast trip 7-1. and one. That was to Oakland, L.A., and San Francisco. They started 7-1. and one. Since then, 2-8, and eight, losing the back two to the Giants. And then they lost two out of three to the Braves, as we saw over that rain, crazy rain weekend, in and out. And remember, they also lost two out of three to Washington before losing the first two games to the Tigers. So let's see them. Hopefully with Verlander on the mound in his first start, they could get a win before coming back home to play Colorado. I'll leave it at that. But the Braves already have a five-game advantage over the Mets in the NL East, and that's the only reason why I bring that up. And let's see if they could get back on the winning track because next thing you know, five could be seven, eight, etc., and they could run away with this division before you know it. And I understand wild card. They got the wild card last year, etc. Fine and dandy, but... I don't even want to go there, and it's already May 3rd, and the Mets have a big deficit there in the division. Besides that, the Pirates have come back to the pack a little bit. They lost the first two games in Tampa. Tampa, as I mentioned, 25-6. and They're on a roll, and I get it that they have not played the best of schedule, but they beat the teams that are in front of them. They do have the Yankees coming to town this weekend, so that's one that we're certainly going to pay attention to, not only for the Yankees, and we already talked about them and where they stand. And think about this, the Yankees... Even though in last place, but they're nine in the loss to Tampa. So if Tampa wins two out of three, they're going to gain a game in the process. And dare I even say, if they sweep the Yankees, they will really put them in a big hole. But as we've seen in the past, it's only May and there's still plenty of baseball to be played. And the Rays, they're going to have their moments this year where they're going to go through their losing streaks or stretches. So not to say that the AL East is over by any stretch. They have a four game lead on the Orioles as of right this moment. But when the Yankees get whole and healthy, I could see them chopping off that lead. Maybe not to get the first place, but we all know this is a marathon, not a sprint. And overall, that's what we have there in baseball. I know the Pirates, let's see if they can salvage that game against Tampa today. I believe that's the finale today as I take a look at that. Other than that, everything is pretty much what we would expect. Minnesota and Cleveland, they are neck and neck there. Even though the Twins have a decent lead. What is it right now? Three in the loss, 17 and 14 there in the Central. And you know baseball will be on our radar from here on out. But obviously the fall and winter sports in their playoffs 
are going to take precedence over the baseball. And I'm going to close out with horse racing. That's right, people. This is the time of year where I'm going to get into it. I'll talk about the NFL more on Monday. I know the schedule release is a week from tonight on the 11th. And I know I could get into it a little bit today, but I want to get into that more next week as the draft is now behind us. So NFL schedule, I'll give you some thoughts as to who I think may be the opening game, which will be in Kansas City, as we know. And one of the games that could possibly be, I'll give you a quick tidbit. We may see the Eagles in Kansas City. Keep that in mind as I'll save that for Monday and more so as we get into next week where the schedule will be unveiled and it'll be almost like another holiday when it comes to the NFL. But with horse racing, the first leg of the Triple Crown begins on Saturday. It'll be the 149th running of the Roses, Churchill Downs, Louisville, Kentucky this Saturday. And the only reason why I bring up the horse racing because... This is the only time I'm going to get to talk about it. Between now, the Preakness, as well as the Belmont, which will cap it off there, I believe that first Saturday in June. But there's one thing I I am going to have to throw some cold water on it. And I talked about this in the past when we've talked about horse racing. But Churchill Downs right now is under some scrutiny because there has been some investigation going on to four horses that have died here. Now, I don't know the ins and outs, ups and downs about it. And we know that this has been littered, especially out in Santa Ana, out in California, where they've had to put literally horses out to pasture for reasons that are unbeknownst to anybody. And I get it that even the FBI got involved at one point when it comes to what's going on with these horses. And one more time, people, I'm going to bring up the race in a second, but... I'm reluctant to really get into this because this is an archaic sport and I understand this has a ton of history and it goes back to the 19th century when it's all said and done, but it's time to weed this sport out. Horse racing is, I hate to say it, similar to what we've seen in boxing. And I know that may piss off the boxing fan and boxing is taking a different tact altogether. Because we just don't have the contenders and we don't have the spark that boxing once had going back to the turn of the century into the 20th century and leading up to today. And as we all know, it's been well far on life support. But the reason why I compare that to boxing, because those were two sports as we got into the 20th century, everybody loved the prize fight. Everybody loved the heavyweight championship. Everybody loved boxing. And the same goes for horse racing where everybody's going to gamble. And that's the only reason why horse racing still exists because it's something for people to go to the racetrack or something for people to go to gamble on to see which horse is going to come out on top so you could get a big payday. That's the only reason why horse racing is still around. But considering these recent study or this recent news about these four deaths that are going to be investigated and three of these horses who were expected to run in the derby also had died and is really going to be questioned here and the horses in particular are parents pride also chasing Artie died suddenly Saturday and Tuesday and then another horse had to be euthanized taking charge Brianna or take charge Brianna after sustaining some injuries due to their bones I mean what is going on here And nobody's really policing this or nobody is really taking some serious consideration to abolish this sport because we all know that for entertainment to have these horses to be groomed just to race and then afterwards, to me, it just has to be thrown away and just has to be getting rid of. And I understand that may be unpopular to certain people and trust me. I am not a part of PETA. So before people saying, oh boy, here goes Jay Reels talking about his ethical and him being all about the animals and an activist, etc. Well, this is my platform to say that this sport needs to slowly but surely get weeded out, as I mentioned just a second ago. But let's face it. What we've seen here with the way these horses are treated and how they're being euthanized and supposed to be a part of this race come Saturday and for this news to take place over the last week, It's not only just downright awful and deplorable, but it's inexcusable. There has to be a line drawn here. This has to stop. And I understand 
nobody really cares in the grand scheme of things. But for these horses that have to go through this and for it to kind of be swept under the rug and maybe brought up here from time to time and maybe to be brought to the forefront to let's get this sport out of here, maybe now's the time. But I digress. Now I'll get off my soapbox and talk about the race itself. Now, I couldn't tell you who is going to come out on top. I can tell you who the favorites are. You have Forte, Tappet Trice, respectively, at 3 and 5 to 1. A lot of people love the horse Angel of Empire, who is at 8 to 1 right now. I can't tell you who your long shot is. We could go through the 30 to 1s and even the 50 to 1s for that matter. And the only reason why I bring up the long shots is because remember last year, you had a 30 to 1 horse win the Kentucky Derby in a one rich strike where a lot of people were just flabbergasted. Nobody in their right frame of mind thought that a horse out of nowhere was going to win the Derby and make a name for itself. And as we saw, there was a lot of groundswell to see if Rich Strike was going to have a shot to maybe go to the Preakness and, dare I even say, win that race to possibly have a triple crown threat at the Belmont? Forget about it. You knew that once they withdrew from the Preakness, they wanted to give him extra rest. He's the type of horse that's not going to be able to withstand a race like the Preakness. We brought him to the Derby for a reason, but we're going to hold him off to race him at the Belmont. Which to me, that was the biggest excuse known to man. Because right then and there, that told you that the horse was not going to be built to be a Triple Crown winner. And I understand that that's not the case considering the odds of this horse. But please, we wanted to see what he was going to do at the Preakness. But we knew that the owners of the horse and I'm sure the racing aficionados were murmuring at the thought that the reason why they didn't bring him to the Preakness because he didn't want to get flat out embarrassed in that race. Because as we saw in the Belmont, that Rich Strike run in, or ran in, excuse me, where did he end up after having five weeks off, knowing that, okay, let's see how Rich Strike is going to do. Can he win the race? Can he at least come in place or show? He came in sixth place. So that's all you need to know about Rich Strike. Now, they struck gold, and give him credit, but was this horse going to be sustainable for the entire racing season to be able to perform in the Preakness and in the Belmont to maybe even pose a threat for a Triple Crown? Ha! The joke was on him. We knew that wasn't going to be the case, as I mentioned last year. So that's the only reason why I bring up Rich Strike and who are the long shots. I couldn't tell you. Is it Hit Show? Is it Lord Miles? Is it Continuar? Continuar is at 50 to 1. The other aforementioned horses are 30 to 1. I couldn't tell you. I'm just going by what I see here. I'm not even going to make a prediction or even claim that I know what's going to happen here. I only bring it up because I'll discuss it on Monday. We all know that the Kentucky Derby in particular, the most exciting two minutes in all of sports. So we'll see. The weather's going to be nice. Low 70s, but cloudy. I don't know if there's going to be any threats of rain. But the Derby will kick us off here. I get it. As far as the pageantry, as far as the history... As far as the pomp and circumstance, this is the big race. Everybody's going to rally around this. This was always, back in my day as a young boy, was always on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Whomever won that Kentucky Derby was always going to be on the forefront. And I get it. With the rich history, Secretariat, Seattle Slough, Aladar. We could go through all the big-time horses throughout the course of its illustrious history. But even with that being said, you got to wonder, is it time to... Start slowly but surely getting these races out of our consciousness. The answer for yours truly is yes. But as of right now, we'll revisit this on Monday when we discuss not only the Derby, but everything else that's happening in the wonderful world of sports. Now, doing my good people, another episode just about in the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for your participation. It is never, ever taken for granted. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts just so we can increase the visibility. Throw me a few stars, write a review one more time. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials as well as follow, subscribe, like, you know the drill. On YouTube, at J Reels. On Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels, one, just the number. And by email, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, suggestions, hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And lastly, the endeavor that I've been doing here twice a week, week in and week out, 
If you want to contribute to that, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy dot com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth will go to the production, upkeep of the website, the equipment to make this experience into this microphone through your earbuds, headphones, or speakers that much more enjoyable, pleasurable, entertaining, informative. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about people. Sports in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing. I'm going to continue to march on and trudge on. So if you want passion, fire, fury, energy with my thoughts, opinions, feelings, analysis, critique, praise on anything and everything, that happens. On the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And I may have a surprise or two, so make sure you subscribe, rate, and review as you may get a podcast or two between now and Monday. But until next time on the J Reels Podcast... On the flip, baby.